Once there were four children who name, whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. They were sent to the house of an old professor who lived in the heart of the country, ten miles from the nearest railway station and two miles from the nearest post office. He had no wife and lived in a very large house with a housekeeper called Mrs. McCready and three servants. Their names were Ivy, Margaret, and Betty, but they did not come to the story much. He himself was a very old man with shaggy white hair, which grew out over most of his face as well as on his head, and they liked him almost at once. But on the first evening when they came out to meet, when he came out to meet them on the front door, he was so odd-looking that Lucy, who was the youngest, was a little afraid of him, and Edmund, who was the next youngest, wanted to laugh laugh and had to keep on pretending that he was blowing his nose to hide it. As soon as they had said goodnight to the professor and gone upstairs on that first night, the boys came into the girls' room and they all talked it over. We've fallen on our feet and no mistake, said Peter. This is going to be perfectly splendid. That old chap is going to let us do anything we like. I think he's an old dear, Susan said. Oh, come off it, said Edmund, who had tried and pretended not to be tired, which was always made him bad-tempered. Don't go on talking like that. Like what, Susan asked, and anyway, isn't it time you were in bed? Trying to talk like mother, said Edmund, and who are you to say that I'm to go to bed? Go to bed yourself. Hadn't we all better go to bed, said Lucy? There's, there's sure to be a row. If we're her talking in here. No, there won't, said Peter. I tell you this is the sort of house where no one's going to mind what we do. Anyway, they won't hear us. It's about ten minutes walk from here down to that dining room, and any amount of stairs and passages in between. What's that noise, Lucy? asked suddenly. It was a far larger house than she'd ever seen been in before and the thought of all those long passages and rows of doors leading into empty rooms was beginning to make her feel a little creepy. "'It's only a bird, silly,' said Edmund. "'It's an owl,' said Peter. "'This is going to be a wonderful place for birds. "'I think I should go to bed now. "'I say, let's go and explore something tomorrow. "'You might find anything in a place like this. "'Did you see all those mountains when we came along? "'And the woods? "'There might even be eagles here. "'Stags. "'Maybe even hawks.' Badger, said Lucy. Foxes, said Edmund. And rabbits, Susan added. But when next morning came, there was a steady rain falling, so thick that when you looked out of the window, you could see neither the mountains, nor the woods, nor even the stream in the garden. Of course it would would be raining, Edmund said. They had just finished their breakfast with the professor and were upstairs in the room he had set apart for them. A long, low room with two windows looking out in one direction and two in another. Do stop grumbling, Ed, Susan said. Ten to one, it'll clear up in an hour or so. And in the meantime, we're pretty well off. There's a wireless and lots of books. Not for me, said Peter. I'm going to explore the house. Everyone agreed to this, and that was what the, and that was how the adventure began. It was.
was the sort of house that you never seemed to come to the end of, and it was full of unexpected places. The first few doors they tried led only into spare rooms, as everyone had expected that they would. But soon they came to a very long room full of pictures, and there they found a suit of armor. And after that, there was a room all hung with green, with a harp in one corner. And then came three steps down, five steps up, and then a kind of a little upstairs hall and a door that led out into, onto a balcony. And then there was a whole, a whole series of rooms that led into one, led into each other, and were all lined with books. Most of them were very old, and some bigger than the, a Bible in a church. Shortly after that, they looked into a room that was quite empty except for one big wardrobe. The sort then has a looking glass in the door. There was nothing else in that room at all except a dead blue bottle on the windowsill. Nothing there, said Peter, and they all trooped out again, all except Lucy. She stayed behind because she thought it would be worthwhile trying the door out of the wardrobe, even though she felt almost sure it would be locked. To her surprise, it opened quite easily, and two mothballs dropped out. Looking into the inside, she saw several coats hanging up, mostly the long fur coats. There was nothing else. Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur, she immediately stepped into the wardrobe and got in among the coats and rubbed her face against them, leaving the door open, of course, because she knew it would be very foolish to shut oneself inside any wardrobe. Soon she went further in and found that there was a second row of coats hanging up behind the first one. It was almost quite dark in there, and she kept her arms stretched out in front of her so as not to bump her face into the back of the wardrobe. She took another step in, then two or three steps, always expecting to feel the woodwork against the tips of her fingers. But she could not feel it. This must be a simply enormous wardrobe, Lucy thought to herself, going still further in and pushing the soft folds of the coats aside to make room for her. Then she noticed that there was something crunching under her feet. I wonder, is that more mothballs, she thought, stooping down to feel it with her hand. Instead of feeling the hard, smooth wood of the floor of the wardrobe, she instead felt something soft and powdery and extremely cold. This is very queer, she said, and went on a step or two further. The next moment, she found that she was rubbing what was rubbing against her face and hands was no longer soft fur but something hard and rough even prickly why it is just like the branches of a tree she exclaimed and then she saw that there was a light ahead of her not a few inches away from where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been but it was a long way off something cold and soft was now falling on her a moment later she found that she was standing in the middle of a wood, at night time, with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. Lucy felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. She looked back over her shoulder, and there, between the dark tree trunks, she could still see the open doorway of the wardrobe, and even caught, catched, caught a glimpse of the empty room from which she had set out. She had, of course, left the door open, for she knew that it was a very silly thing to shut oneself in a wardrobe. 
it seemed to be still daylight there. Well, I, I can always go back if anything goes wrong, she thought. She then began to walk forward, crunch, crunch over the snow and through the wood toward the other light. In about ten minutes, she reached it and found that it was a lamp post. As she stood looking at it, wondering why there was a lamp post in the middle of the wood, wondering what it meant, what, what meant and what to do next, she heard a pitter-patter of feet coming towards her. Soon after that, a very strange person stepped out from among the trees into the light of the lamppost. He was only a little taller than Lucy herself, and he carried over his head an umbrella, white with snow. From the waist upward, he was like a man, but his legs were shaped like a goat. The hair on them was a glossy black, and instead of feet, he had goat hooves. He was he also had a tail, but Lucy didn't notice this at first because it was neatly caught up over the arm that held the umbrella so as to keep it from trailing behind it in the snow. He had a red woolen muffler around his neck and his skin was rather reddish too. He had a strange but pleasant little face with a short pointed beard and curly hair. Out of the hair there stuck two horns, as I have said, held, and that held two horns, one on each side of his forehead. One of his hands, as I've said, held the umbrella. In the other arm, he carried several brown paper parcels. What with the parcels and the snow, it looked like he had just been out doing his Christmas shopping. He was what they call a fawn. And when Lucy saw, when he saw Lucy, he gave such a start of surprise that he dropped all of his parcels. Goodness gracious me, he exclaimed. Chapter 2 Good evening, said Lucy, but the fawn was so busy picking up its parcels that at first it didn't reply. When it had finished, it made it her little bow. Good evening, good evening, the fawn said. Excuse me, I don't want to be inquisitive, but should I be right in thinking that you are a daughter of Eve? My name's Lucy, she said, not quite understanding him. But you are, forgive me, you are what they call a girl, the fawn asked again. Of course I'm a girl, Lucy said. You are, in fact, human. Of course I'm a human, Lucy said, still a little puzzled as to what he meant. To be sure, to be sure, said the fawn. How stupid of me. But I've never seen a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve before. I am delighted. That is to say... And then it stopped as if it had been going to say something it had not intended, but had remembered in time not to say it. Delighted, delighted, it went on. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Tumnus. I'm very pleased to meet you, Mr. Tumnus, Lucy said. And may I ask, oh, Lucy, daughter of Eve, so Mr. Tumnus, how you have got into Narnia? Narnia? What's that? This is the land of Narnia, the fawn said, where we are now. All that lies between the lamppost and the great castle of Caraparavel on the eastern sea. And you, you have come from the wild woods of the west? I, I got in through the wardrobe in the spare room, Lucy said. 
"'Ah,' said Mr. Tumnus in a rather melancholy voice, "'if only I had worked harder at geography when I was a little fawn, "'I should no doubt know all about those strange countries. "'But it's too late now. "'But they aren't countries at all,' Lucy said, almost laughing. "'It's only just back there, at least. "'I'm not sure. It's, it's somewhere there.' Meanwhile, said Mr. Tumnus, it is winter in Narnia, and has been for ever so long, and we should both catch cold if we stand here talking in snow. Daughter of Eve, from the fair la- far land of Spare Oom, where eternal summer reigns around the bright city of Wardrobe, how would it be if you came and had tea with me? Thank you very much, Mr. Tumnus, said Lucy, but I was wondering whether I ought to be getting back. It's only just around the corner, said the fawn, and there's a ro- there'll be a roaring fire, and toast, and sardines, and cake. Well, it's very kind of you, said Lucy, but I shan't be able to stay for very long. If you will take my arm, daughter of Eve, said Mr. Tumnus, I shall be able to hold the umbrella over both of us. That's the way, now. Off we go. And so Lucy found herself walking through the wood, arm in arm, with this strange creature, as if they had known each other all their lives. They had not gone far before they came to a place where the ground became rough, and there were rocks all about the little, all about in little hills up and little hills down. At the bottom of one small valley, Mr. Tumnus turned suddenly aside as if he were going to walk straight into an unusually large rock. But at the last moment, Lucy found he was leading her into the entrance of a cave. As soon as they were there inside, she found herself blinking in the light of a wood fire. Then Mr. Tumnus stooped and took a flaming piece of wood out of the fire with a neat little pair of tongs and lit a lamp. Now we shan't be long, he said, and immediately put a kettle on. Lucy thought she had never been in a nicer place. It was little, dry, it was a clean cave of reddish stone with a carpet on the floor and two little chairs one for me and one for a friend said mr tumnus and a table and a dresser and a mantelpiece over the fire and above above that was a picture of an old fawn with a gray beard in one corner there was a door which lucy thought must lead to mr tumnus's bedroom and on one wall was a shelf full of books lucy noticed at the looked at these while he was setting up the tea they had titles like the life and letters of silliness or nymphs in their ways men monks and gamekeepers a study in popular legends and is man a myth now daughter of eve said the fawn and really it was a wonderful tea there was a nice brown egg lightly boiled for each of them and then sardines on toast and then butter toast, and then toast with honey, and then a sugar-topped cake. When Lucy was tired of eating, the fawn began to talk. He had wonderful tales to tell of life in the forest. He told about the midnight dances, and how the nymphs who lived in the wells, and the dryads who lived in the trees came out to dance with the fawns, about long hunting parties after the milk-white stag who could give you wishes if you caught him about feasting and treasure-seeking with the wild red doors and deep mines and caverns far beneath the forest floor, and then about summer when the woods were green and old silliness and his fat donkey would come to visit 
sometimes Bacchus himself, and then the streams would run with wine instead of water, and the whole forest would give itself to jollification for weeks on end. Now that is... Not, not that it isn't always winter now, he said gloomily. Then to cheer himself up, he took out from its case on the dresser a strange little flute that looked as if it were made of straw, and he began to play. The tune he played made Lucy want to cry, laugh, dance, and go to sleep all at the same time. It must have been hours later when she shook herself and said, Oh, Mr. Tumnus, I'm so sorry to stop you. I do love that tune, but really, I must go home. I only meant to stay for a few minutes. It's no good now, you know, said the fawn, laying down its flute and shaking its head at her very sorrowfully. No good, she asked, jumping up and feeling rather frightened. What do you mean? I've got to go home at once. The others will be wondering what has happened to me. But a moment later, she asked, Mr. Tumnus, whatever is the matter? For the fawn's brown eyes had filled with tears, and then the tears began trickling down its cheeks, and soon they were running off the end of its nose, and at last it covered its face with its hands and began to bawl, howling terribly. Mr. Tumnus, Mr. Tumnus, Lucy said in great distress, don't, don't. What's the matter? Aren't you well? Dear Mr. Tumnus, do tell me what's wrong. But the fawn continued sobbing its heart at out as if it would break and even then lucy went over and put her arm around him and lent him her handkerchief but he did not stop he merely took the handkerchief and kept on using it wringing it out with both of his hands whenever it got too wet to be of any more use so that presently lucy was standing in a damp patch mr tumnus bawled lucy in his ear shaking him do stop stop it at once you ought to be ashamed of yourself, a great big fawn like you. What on earth are you crying about? Oh, 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 sobbed Mr. Tumnus. I'm crying because I am such a bad fawn. I don't think you're a bad fawn at all, said Lucy. I think you're a very good fawn. You're the nicest fawn I have ever met. Oh, you wouldn't say that if you knew, Mr. Tumnus replied between his sobs. No, I am a bad fawn. I don't suppose there ever was a worse fawn since the beginning of the world. But what have you done? Lucy asked. My old father, now, said Mr. Tumnus. That's his picture over on the mantelpiece. He would never have done something like this. A thing like what? Lucy asked. Like what I've done, he said. Taken services under the white witch. That's what I am. I'm in the pay of the White Witch. The White Witch? Who is she? Why, it is she that has got all Narnia under her thumb. It's she that makes it always winter. Always winter and never Christmas. Think about that. How awful, said Lucy. But what does she pay you for? That's the worst thing, said Mr. Thomas with a deep groan. I'm a kidnapper for her. That's what I am. Look at me, daughter of Eve. Would you believe that I am the sort of fawn to meet in poor, a poor innocent child in the wood? One that had never done me any harm and pretend to be friendly with it? And then invite it home to my cave, all for the sake of lulling it to sleep and then handing it over to the white witch? No, said Lucy. I'm sure you wouldn't do anything of the sort. But I have, the fawn said. 
Well, said Lucy rather slowly, for she wanted to be truthful and yet not be too hard with him. Well, that was pretty bad, but you're so sorry for it that I'm sure you will never do it again. Daughter of Eve, don't you understand? said the fawn. It isn't something that I have done. I'm doing it now, this very moment. What do you mean? cried Lucy, turning very white. You are the child, said Tumnus. I had orders from the white witch that if I ever met a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve in the wood, I was to catch them and hand them over to her. You are the first one I ever met. I pretended to be your friend and asked you to tea all the time. I've been meaning to wait till you were asleep and then go and tell her. Oh, but you won't, Mr. Tumnus and Lucy. You won't, will you? Indeed, indeed, you really mustn't. And if I don't, he said, beginning to cry again, she's sure to find out, and she'll have my tail cut off and my horns sawn off, my beard plucked out. She'll wave her wand over my beautiful cloven hooves and turn them into horrid, solid hoofs like a wretched horse's. And if she is extra and especially angry, she'll turn me into stone, and I shan't shall only be a statue of a fawn in her horrible house until the four thrones at Carepowervel are filled. Goodness knows when that will happen, or whether it will ever happen at all. I'm very sorry, Mr. Tumnus and Lucy, but please, let me go home. Of course I will, said the fawn. Of course, I've got to. I see that now. I hadn't known what humans were like before I met you. Of course I can't give you up to the witch. Not now that I know you. But we must be off at once. I'll see you back to the lamppost. I suppose you can find your way back from to spare room and wardrobe. I'm sure I can, Lucy said. We must go as quietly as we can, said Mr. Tumnus. The whole wood is full of her spies. Even some of the trees are on her side. They both got up and left the tea things on the table. Mr. Tumnus at once once more put on put up his umbrella and gave Lucy his arm, and they went out into the snow. The journey back was not at all like the journey to the fawn's cave. They stole along as quickly as they could without speaking a word, and Mr. Tumnus kept to the darkest places. Lucy was relieved when they reached the lamppost again. "'Do you know your way from here, daughter of Eve?' Mr. Tumnus asked. Lucy looked very hard between the trees, and could just see in the distance a patch of light that looked like daylight. "'Yeah,' she says. "'I can see the wardrobe door. "'Then be off home as quick as you can,' the fawn said. "'And can you ever forgive me for what I meant to do?' "'Why, of course I can,' said Lucy, shaking him heartily by the hand. "'And I do hope you won't get into dreadful trouble on my account.' "'Farewell, daughter of Eve,' he said. "'Perhaps I may keep the handkerchief?' "'Rather, please do,' said Lucy, "'and then ran towards the far-off patch of daylight "'as quickly as her legs would carry her. "'Presently, instead of rough branches brushing past her, "'she felt coats, "'and instead of crunching snow under her feet, "'she felt wooden boards, "'and all at once she found herself "'jumping out of the wardrobe "'into the same empty room "'from which the whole adventure had started. "'She shut the wardrobe tightly behind her "'and looked around, panting for breath.' It was still raining, and she could hear the voices of the others in the passage. I'm here, she shouted. I'm here. I've come back. I'm all right.